First off, Tyler, I just want to thank you for taking the time to come and do this. I was actually on a FaceTime call with Daniel the other day. For people that don't know, Daniel is the youth pastor of Antioch in College Station. And he was like, dude, I like, dude, you should be honored. And that, that's what I want to say. I am honored that you're here. And I want you to know that. And um, because you are a busy man and you're even busier now. And so it means the world to me how you've communicated through this process and set this up quick. And and, it, and, and, and now we're going to have a good time having this conversation. Great. Well, yeah. I'm excited to be here, man. And um, yeah, you know, uh, like we were just talking beforehand, I think these days present interesting challenges for for people that are married with kids because your kids got no sports they got no school they've got uh, no activities for my kids my girls do ballet my boys do baseball and that's all gone and mm. uh, you know you can't you can't really zoom call a baseball game uh, it's just gone you know yeah. I think ballet class they're, they're starting to do some of that but you know when you take away all the activities everything else your day becomes 6.30 a.m. till 9.30 p.m. Your kids are awake. Mm. And so that's a long day with no breaks. And so, but we look up and we're, you know, it's like anything. You've got to find the positives. you got to, you kind of look at the glass half empty. You've got to find the positives and the wins and, and ask, what is God saying? What's he doing right now? And how are we going to take advantage of the times we're in? Mm. Instead of looking at it as just a disadvantage, you've got to say, well, hold on. There's always an advantage. There's always something that, that that God is is doing, if you'll change your perspective a little bit, you can see it that. So we're having a lot of family time, playing a lot of board games, uh, and uh, it's been it's been fun so far. I'm sure the kids love that the board games. Yeah, and hey, and you know we we didn't know this, but uh, in case anyone's wondering, your children can actually develop a competitive edge at a very young age. Mm. So, uh, you know, sure. That's not very hard for your children. No, and, <laughs> and honestly, you know, when mom and dad are competitive in sports or life that usually does, uh, trickle down to the next generation. And so we've had a few heart to heart throwdowns over some board games and cards where feelings got hurt. Some tears might've been shed, uh, and potentially mom or dad may have gotten frustrated even in the midst of the game. So yeah. we're working it through. But it's great. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Um, and can you actually pull the mic a little bit closer? Yeah, I'm yeah. not hearing it. Wanna, that it's, you want to hear? Yeah, just okay. uh, yeah. I got you. And and uh, you just want to angle your mouth towards it. Hey, I'll just, just a little. I'll just look at the microphone <laughs> the whole time. Pretend I'm talking to you. No. Um, but yeah, that's actually kind of what I want to talk about. The way I've been seeing it lately is like God's doing a ton during this. Like this was honestly a blessing in many many ways, mm-hmm. and it's like a, a moment for God to just say. Hey, do you really know how your heart is positioned towards me? And it's given us the opportunity to choose him in a simple A or B choice. Mm-hmm. It's like we either spend time with him in this time or we don't. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so um, that's kind of what I want to talk about is like, how do you feel like the body of Christ is growing right now? And how have you seen it in our own church? Yeah. You know, I think that um, whenever... Uh, you know, whenever you're assessing something, there's always a spectrum, right? You've, uh, you've always got extremes. And so I think if, if I was to look just at, um, just to look at the church globally, then we'll go America and then we'll scale it back into here. Right. So I, I think, you know, what is God doing globally? He's doing a lot. You know, I reminded people the other day that remember God is, uh, God is unchanging. He, he doesn't change based off our circumstances. God's nature isn't all of a sudden uh, re- reshaping itself because we've got a coronavirus, we can't gather in churches on a on an Easter morning. So God is not changing, um, his 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 nature is not changing, and therefore his mission isn't changing. Mm-hmm. So the mission of the church that that was uh, unveiled in in uh, you know in the Gospels and the Book of Acts two thousand years ago, that mission is still happening. Now what we have to do as a people is understand, okay. How do we still be the church and how do we actually find God in the midst of things changing and moving and uncertainty? And, you know, honestly, if we look back through history, in the last 2,000 years, there have been pandemics, there have been wars, there have been uh, regime changes, there have been catastrophic events of earthquakes Mm -hmm. and 
uh, storms and famines. I mean, yeah. just go through history, not let alone biblical history, but just modern day, there have been things that have happened. And yet what has come out on the other side? Mm-hmm. The church has survived. Mm-hmm. And I tell people, remember, the church is the longest lasting organization on planet Earth. <laughs> it's actually the only organization that we that we believe if you if you trust and know Jesus and you read the word of God, what it says is actually the church is who Jesus is coming back for. Right? He's coming back for the church. So the church is going to remain. I'm mm. actually not worried about the church. I'm mm. not concerned that the church is going to be happening. Now, the way that we do church globally, the way that we do church in America, what people are used to in terms of uh, the philosophy of ministry or maybe some of the programming or the models or the shapes and the sizes of how church happens, right? Those things are having to change, right? Mm. You can't gather together, so now you gather virtually. You're not able to lay hands on someone and pray for them necessarily. So you're going to pray through them just through, uh, through a FaceTime call. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, you may not be able to have a conference, but you can still preach a message and get the message out. You may not be able to have a book signing, but you can still provide the book. I mean, mm-hmm. like the church is changing, but, but, what, what, but who's not changing is God. And so since we also believe that Jesus is the head of the church, then we have to say, okay, he's the head of the church. He, he is steadying us. And so where do we look in these days? And I think that we are, we need to look to him. We need to look to our leader to know, um, where is he taking us? Where is he guiding us? So I can just speak on behalf of, of, of maybe Antioch as a movement. So if some of your listeners don't, you know, if they don't know, Antioch is a, uh, really, it is a network of churches that is over a hundred, uh, different churches around the world. Um, and, the majority of our uh, of our churches are actually not in the U.S., right? Mm-hmm. So we have about 40 or so churches in the U.S. It would be kind of a normal, traditional church of a Sunday morning gathering, uh, life groups, discipleship happening, training schools happening, missional type of communities, right? Um, and then overseas, we have, you know, our teams that have been sent out in different nations to preach the gospel to the unreached people groups of the earth. And mm-hmm. so they are actually doing house church in a way that maybe you would look at the book of Acts and see the early days of the church. And, um, and, and that is happening. And I think what America's having to do right now is look up and actually look overseas and say, what is working in countries where maybe you're more restricted because of the government, because the freedom of religion isn't maybe there. Hmm. The church in America is actually having to look towards a house church model and realize, oh, wait a second, we can do church, but it's actually maybe not going to be in our large buildings right now. Hmm. So what is that going to look like? Well, we're streaming something from our large buildings, but but what is what is the church? And when you look at the book of Acts, what you see is you see the church was actually people meeting in homes. Now, we're not all able to gather 20, 30 people right now, the shelter in place orders and everything else, gathering in homes, okay? But we are gathering together virtually, right? And I think that when we come out of this shelter in place, when we come out of the coronavirus, I think what's gonna be birthed out of the church in America is we're actually looking towards what are what our uh, brothers and sisters in Christ are doing overseas, mm. which is they actually find someone, they sit down, they read the Bible, they pray with them, they encourage them, they ask them to invite a few friends, they sit down, they have a they 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 share a coke together, share a meal together, share a cup of coffee, they read the Bible, they pray for each other, they then share, they then gather a few more friends, and next thing you know, you've got a house church. Mm. A house church is going to be formed in two weeks time, and it's all volunteer based, and a house church is formed, and then that guy says, hey, there's a buddy of mine in this next village. Can I share this with him? Will you come with me next Tuesday? And they come next Tuesday and they share that with him. Another house church forms. What happens is the gospel spreads and the church expands, not because we build a building, not because we even have staff, but the church grows and expands because of discipleship. Mm. And I think what the American church is having to wake up to is that if, if you were a church that was mainly built on a attractional model or a seeker-friendly model, or a programming model before mm-hmm. the coronavirus, you're probably uh, struggling on some level. Not that your church is all centered around that. I'm just saying if that was the main mode of operation, then 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 traditionally what that would say is that you don't have maybe deep relationships across the church that were existing beforehand, and that maybe um, some of the larger gatherings are what really was gelling your people together. And so everyone's having to do an honest wake-up call right now and say, man, like, is our church actually legit? Yeah. Like, 
Do people still want to be part of the church, even though we can't gather on Sundays? I think it's a real question people are asking, you know. Yeah, and I, I love what you said about taking this true discipleship model that you see overseas so commonly and reevaluating being like, should we be doing more of this? So my question is, why do you think the body of Christ grows so rapidly under oppression? That's a great question. <laughs> um, you know, uh, I, I could not answer it from experience right. of actually being another nation where my people group or where we were under oppression. Mm. So let me just first say that. Yeah. All that I know is secondhand accounts, right? So secondhand accounts of people that I do know who've been in those nations. I do have friends. I do have colleagues that are uh, church planners in different countries or have met people in my years that are from a particular region mm -hmm. and they share their story, which in the end we have people's stories, right? And so what I would say is that, um, you know, people are um, realizing that, that the Bible actually has the complete package for what you need for life, what you need for ministry, what you need to fulfill the Great Commission, to be mm -hmm. part of that story, it's there in the Bible. And I think that what what we are seeing is that when you just take two or three people, so you know that scripture says, you know, wherever two or three are gathered, Jesus is there, right? Mm -hmm. Like the Lord is with us. What is fascinating is I heard a story years ago. Um, a man was talking to me and he was saying they were sharing in, uh, in, in, in Southeast Asia and in this region, there were some unreached people groups and they walked in and they met with a couple people in the village and they said, Hey, we just want to open up the Bible and start reading this. So a couple of people got together and it was, and he said it was, uh, it was him who was the missionary and then three other men, they were sitting down talking and, um, and they read this passage, uh, that was describing about how husbands are supposed to treat their wives. Mm -hmm. Now, these guys, um, they, uh, they were interested in the gospel. They weren't really sure. They hadn't been saved yet. They were reading through the Bible, though, because they were curious. And he was sharing with them, and this guy said, he said, hey, I want us to read this. I'm not going to tell you what it means. I want you to tell me what it means. And he said, one of the guys stood up, and he said, this passage says that I'm not supposed to beat my wife. Mm. And the other man said, yeah, I'm reading that it's, we're supposed to love our wives. And in this culture, it was very normative and acceptable to beat your wife. That was just normal. That was okay in their region. That's what the standard was. And so for these men, they're reading and saying, hold on. The Bible is saying, this, this holy book is saying, that we're not supposed to do that. Now, the missionary didn't tell them not to beat their wives. And it doesn't even say specifically, do not beat your wives in the Bible. It doesn't say that, right? Yeah. <laughs> but it does say, love your wives, treat them with respect, care for them. And so what they inferred was that, as they were reading the Bible, the missionaries, he shared the story. He said, look, here's what I know. Um, the scriptures say that the spirit of God will lead and guide you into all truth. So he said, it wasn't me leading them to all truth. Mm. The spirit of God. The spirit of God was actually illuminating the scriptures to people who actually didn't even know the Lord yet to allow them to understand what it meant. And because you go about it that way, you see, when it becomes man-centered discipleship, Instead of, uh, instead of Jesus-centered, instead of, instead of uh, having the Spirit of God lead you, I think mm. that's where people get stuck. And so I think that what you were saying about our American model on some level, that we are shifting and realizing, hey, discipleship is not that complicated. Mm -hmm. It's not. Yeah. You don't have to read a bunch of books about it. There's one book. It already told us what to do. Mm. And it gave it very clear instructions. And I love what Jesus said. He said, if you love me, you will obey me. So discipleship is actually reading the Bible, obeying it, and then reading it with someone else, and you guys obeying it together. If you'll keep it simple like that, that's what's reproducible, and that's what's happening around the world. Yeah, it seems like in the American church, we kind of get caught up in position and mm -hmm. in assigning more value to position. Yeah. And when you look at the scriptures, even with the Israelites and the Jewish people versus the Gentiles, there was never this description of the Jews are better than the Gentiles. It was this person is in this position for this reason to father the nations so that the, the Gentiles may come to fullness of faith in order to bring back the faith that was hardened in the Jewish people. Yes. And 
what I see in modern day discipleship here is many times what diffuses it and causes division between people is worrying about the flow of the pouring in to who you know it's like oh well I can't let my peer be pouring into me or say you're discipling me because that makes me like less of a person and when we realize that our identity does not come from any position but it actually comes from what Jesus has already established so like yeah do you think that is going to begin to change do you think that heart is going to open up like we don't it doesn't matter what position you're in you can serve and you can teach and you can love people around you yeah you, you know I, I i think that when um you know for for so many people around the world and let's just take america for a moment and beyond the church i, I think to your point you have to realize that when you all of a sudden remove the fact that you are an NBA player playing in front of thousands of fans every night, and now you don't practice, you don't play, and the only way to engage with people is through the same way that everybody else does. Mm. You see, what the coronavirus has done <laughs> is it has actually leveled the playing field for every single human being. Mm. Think about this. Um, you, you may now you may have a captive audience because you've got a an Instagram deal gone, you've got a great stream, a show, whatever. But think about this. Every single athlete, superstar, pop star, politician, news talking head to college, every, the playing field's been leveled, actually. That um, everyone actually doesn't have those conferences and stages to be at right now. Mm. It's actually, you're just like everybody else. You're staying yeah. home, too. You're having to buy groceries. You're taking care of your kids all day, also or you're now doing all your courses online, it's leveled the playing mm. field. And I think what that's done now is it's exposing how much people relied upon their position and their title. Mm. And I, I think that's a question we always got to ask is, man, like what, what, what are the consequences intended or unintended of, of, of what we've created? Mm. And I think if someone has created, um, uh, that 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 their identity, so to speak, is wrapped up in a position or a title, be it in the church, outside the church, be it in an organization, it, whatever is wrapped up in, yeah. that gets exposed real quick when the rug gets pulled out from underneath you, mm. which just happened. So people are scrambling for their identity right now, saying, who am I? Like, so that could be a great question for me. Who am I if I can't preach on a Sunday morning mm. to a crowd of people? And have them say, amen, and we're with you, pastor, yeah. okay? Because just so you know, yeah. and, and, and in case no one's ever done this before, when you preach, it is helpful to hear some feedback. Right. Some, you know, uh, I... Help I, me I, out, church. Yeah, listen, now listen, I wish we had more of that. So if you're listening, you're part of Antioch, you need to say amen, all right? But, but I'll just say this, it is so awkward to preach and teach with no audience. So take that, not just a pastor, take a professor, Yeah. take a CEO doing a sales call to all the teams. Hey guys, you with me? And they're all silent Zoom call and they're like thumb up or yeah. they're doing little emojis. I mean, it's just, it's an awkward day mm. we live in. But I think that that rug is being pulled out from the identity being wrapped up in uh, what we did previously mm. or what we were known for. Mm. Mm. Yeah, and, that, and that's what makes what we're doing right now so great because it's just pure connection and conversation and it hasn't changed you know what we're doing is like there's still people to have a conversation with and that's what i'm realizing it's like this i think that what marks the season more than anything and i was talking to daniel about this it's not it's it, it, i think the biggest like uh, and and this is just in my opinion so so if you're feeling something else god's doing a thousand different things right a million different things mm -hmm. but i think it's a season of choice He's showing us that we have choice and that our choices matter. And so we have the choice to call our grandma and, and talk to her and stuff like that. But no, you're totally right. And I'm sure you can like relate but based on what you said, as far as I was watching one of the first streams of Stephen Furtick and he has a huge church, like usually 3000 people show up to every single one. And you saw how hard it was for him to preach with no one there because he's so used to the feedback of the church. The culture is constantly calling right, out and right. 
and things and things of, of that nature um so when you these things start to kind of peel off these titles these positions these activities what are we kind of left with doing and how do we respond to that yeah um you know when when whenever you peel an orange mm. right no one likes to eat the rind of the orange i mean it's just although it's I think, gross right? I, I think my kids have tried before <laughs> and i try to explain it it's not like an apple so apples and oranges are very different an apple you can just sink your teeth into it and it's all good an yeah. orange it takes a little time you know i would say what are people experiencing they're experiencing that that the outer pieces are being peeled off mm. so if i so let's say you're a college student um and I put all of my hope in my degree, in my social organizations, and my standing as the president of this club. Mm. Um, let's say you're an athlete, and my ability to play this sport, this is why I came to this school, to, whatever it is, you just strip those things off. So now what you're seeing is that softer side of the actual orange itself, which is a little softer. It's not as hard as the outside. That's been peeled off, and now we're seeing what kind of fruit is that? And I think people are realizing that if their identity was wrapped up in anything other than Jesus, like if your identity, even, and I'm talking for the majority of Christendom, if your identity is wrapped up in how well liked you are in your job mm. in the attention you got in the social organization you're in, in the position as being a local volunteer t-ball coach, whatever it is, that's removed. Hmm. So now people are wondering, who am I apart from that? Hmm. Who am I when we have shelter in place orders? Who am I when I'm no longer standing in front of my class of high school students teaching them math or science? Hmm. Who am I when no one's here to watch me play a sport? I'm not even practicing. Hmm. Who am I, right? You're getting to ask the question right now. Yeah. This is probably the largest identity crisis that our country has ever experienced. If you're looking for a theme, I think our country right now is experiencing an identity crisis on an mm -hmm. individual level. And marriages are experiencing a crisis because they're saying, the person I married, I did not expect to be around you 24 hours a day. I expected to actually go off to work, mm -hmm. to exercise with my buddies, to maybe go hang out here and do this, play this sport. But now I'm around you all the time and I'm only around you all the time. Mm -hmm. And so if husbands and wives have not figured out how to have conflict and resolve it, if you're married and you don't know about forgiveness, your marriage is probably in turmoil right now because mm -hmm. you are, there is stress happening. There is friction happening. There is tension. And if you, if you do not have a solid foundation of a trust in Jesus, and the willingness to forgive and show compassion and care and understanding for each other, people are fighting. I mean, yeah. and it's not pretty, you know? And so I think that stuff's being stripped away. And what's being exposed is where have you put your identity? Meaning, where have you found your acceptance? Where have you found your security, right? Where have you found your significance in this world apart from your job, your yeah. title? And that's a great point because when, when I think about the importance of a marriage covenant now and these beautiful weddings that I've seen, especially Daniel and Hannah, just that mm -hmm. being like my main example. Um, it's just like, wow, that piece of the what a marriage is just reveals to be so important because you, you think about it, if you married someone with social status, with job orientation or like activities mm -hmm. that is their identity, now when that's stripped away, you're like, wait, who did I marry yes. and what is binding us together? And you see that start to crumble. It's almost like God just blew some wind and all the sand that is the mm. foundations yeah. of our lives just is going away. And now I think we have the choice. Are we going to like, you know, call God over and ask him, hey, can you fill this with some concrete? Get the trucks coming in and, and level this mm -hmm. out. Um, but I want to ask you about this. When you're in this raw place and things are changed you no longer have activities to consume your time or or the routine or this uh even this idea of emerging in life 
to a certain conclusion or like position, you yeah. know, kind of what we're here at college to do, yep. Yep. frankly, you know, the kind of uh, 21st century mindset of success. Right. And you're sitting at home. I've noticed that it's almost in some ways from a heart perspective, harder to spend time with the Lord because it's no longer like, okay, I got my Jesus time in. Now the rest of my day is impacted in a positive way. It's like, well, my day's probably going to look pretty similar no matter what. And so when I get to this place, I have to face what's really inside. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. And, yeah. You know, I think, um, just you were sharing, it's kind of the picture coming to mind was, you know, um, you can you can have Jesus uh, like just in you know just in your living room, or you can take him to the whole house. And I think that when I think about people's relationship with Jesus, he never intended, as far as I read and as far as I've experienced, he never intended our relationship, our walk, our faith to remain in a room. Mm-hmm. Or to remain in a certain environment or even just in a certain moment. He intended it to be a relationship that is ongoing, that is continual, never stopping, never taking breaks. Mm. Right? Jesus, it's not like a dating relationship. Hey, I'm going to date. Uh, we're going to go on a date and then I'm going to decide if I want to date you again. And in two weeks, we'll try this again. Right? And and so that that's not it. And so what... What do we have in our modern day human social construct to give the greatest example to the relationship with Christ and the relationship with Christ in the church? It's marriage, right? Yeah. So the bride and the groom. And so if the church is the bride and if he's the groom, if you look at that, the desire is that there's always a connection. There is a covenant formed that is ongoing, whether or not that married couple's in the same room. Of course, right now they are a lot of the time. But whether or not that couple's in the same room or not, um, like there is a covenant to where you are making decisions with with thinking about them. Does it make any sense? Yeah. So, for, sure. for instance, in your walk with Jesus, are you making decisions that you're actually thinking about him? Mm. So if I'm going to cook dinner for our family, you would look at me and say, dude, you're a selfish guy. <laughs> If I'm only cooking steaks because that's what I want to eat, and I don't know, and let's say that my wife didn't eat red meat, and my kids don't really like steaks, but I'm so excited about cooking steaks, okay? Um, that's not really the picture we have. The imagery we have biblically and experientially is that I need to think, what is a meal that my entire family will coalesce around and actually eat and enjoy? And so I'm going to cook that. I may not even love that food as much, but I know they do. Right. Mm -hmm. So a good example is, uh, listen, I'm not big on Indian food. Okay. I'm just not. I do like naan bread. Okay. I do the naan. I do the chicken tiki. Okay. So if you guys are big Indian food eaters, I apologize, but I'm not, I can't handle spice a lot. All right. My wife loves Indian food. Now, in our town, as far as I'm aware, there's really only one Indian restaurant, Taz, if you've ever been to Taz. Um, and, um, you know, like we will go there time to time and I will eat up all the naan I can. I'm a big bread guy. So I love the naan and I do the chicken tiki and all that rice. But she will get all the spices and sauces and dip it everywhere. And I'm just like, um, I'm a little overloaded. <laughs> but why do I go there? Because it makes my wife come alive. Mm. It, it puts a smile on her face. She gets excited. It brings joy to her heart. So let's take that into relationship with Jesus. What puts joy on the heart of Jesus? Mm. What brings a smile to his face? Is it me doing only what I want to do? Or is it orienting my day and my life around things you're actually going to give honor to him, mm. give glory to him? Does that mean you need to sit around and pray all day? No, because he didn't tell us to do that. <laughs> yeah. he, he, he told us to work six days and rest one. If he wanted us to pray all day, he would have said pray all day every day. Mm-hmm. But he did say, but we do have this this verse that everyone confuses, pray without ceasing. Right. What does that mean? Right. Pray without ceasing. It does not mean you sit on your knees all day and pray. It means that you are constantly thinking about in the back of your mind and in the forefront of your mind in different moments, 
how can I honor Jesus right now? Mm. Like, what does it look like for me to bring him out of the living room into the kitchen and into the back porch and into the car and to the grocery store? What does it look like for me actually to take every step with a dove in mind? Right? So Bill Johnson years ago had the opportunity to meet with him. He's the, the senior pastor or whatever of Bethel Church in Reading. And we met with him years ago and he said this little line and it's always stuck with me. He said, you know, when Jesus was baptized um, in the Jordan River, okay, John the Baptist baptizes Jesus. He comes up out of the water. What's it say? It says they heard a voice that God spoke and he said, this is my son whom I'm well pleased, right? So he's giving affirmation to Jesus. And then in that moment, what's it say? And then the Holy Spirit in the form of a dove mm -hmm. comes down and rests on the shoulder of Jesus, but it never says that's that spirit left. <laughs> it came to rest on him and never says he flew off or went away. Mm -hmm. And do you know that when the miracle started was after that, there's not a single recorded miracle in the life of Jesus until he was baptized in water and baptized in the Holy spirit. The spirit came upon him. There's not a single miracle recorded. Wow. Did you know that? Wow. Jesus wasn't teaching the kingdom of God until that moment. Now, what does that tell you? Jesus, as our example, is saying the way to live life is to live with the spirit, to live cognitively, conscientiously in a way where he's right here. Mm. The number one thing I would tell anybody right now, if you're <laughs> stuck at home, which all of us are, if you're restricted, if you're whatever you're doing, or even if you're going out to your job, whatever it looks like. Take every step with a dove in mind. Like, remember, he's here. He didn't He didn't fly away at 10 p.m., right? Like, when you're watching that Netflix show, he didn't, he didn't like, take a break, and I left the Spirit of God in the living room. I'm going to go to my bedroom and watch this show. If you live that way, you're living, you're living um, more or less a double life. But he wants to be single-minded, hmm. which means, hey, when I'm cooking a meal, I'm thinking, what's going to bless my family? And the question we'll always ask our kids is when they're struggling, right? We'll say, we'll pause and say, I'll say to Graham something. Hey, Graham, ask the question, what can I do to be a blessing? He'll say, what can I do to be a blessing? I won't give him the answer. He'll usually come up with something. Uh, I can help sweep the floors or make my bed. We're training our children not to just do as I say, right? but to listen to God and to think for themselves and say, no, no, no. I'm trying to be a blessing. So what does that need to look like? Mm. I'm trying to honor God today, Bailey, but I don't need to tell you, I don't need to tell you 20 things today to honor your God. Yeah. yeah. That's weird. And that's controlling. <laughs> yeah. I need to say, Bailey, wake up today and ask Jesus, Jesus, what can I do to honor you today? Mm. And he may say, make a cup of coffee and give it to a friend. He may say, do an extra podcast deal. He may say, bless your roommates by doing their laundry. You have no idea what he's going to say. And that's what makes the Christian life an adventure. It's stale, stagnating, religious, and boring when we live off a list of rules. But when you live by the Spirit of God and you live in relationship, that's fun. That's why a boring marriage is when you live off restrictions, rules, and checking boxes. But when it's an adventure and you're always asking, how can I serve and how can I bless and how can I honor you? That's what makes a marriage fun. Mm -hmm. I'll honestly tell you right now, our marriage is doing awesome. I couldn't always say that. But right now, it's actually really fun. I love being married to my wife, Ashley. I love my kids. Yeah, there's moments we're stressed out, but on the whole, we're having a great time. I'm actually not uber <laughs> discouraged by the coronavirus shelter in place. Yeah, I'm like, this is a needed break. Yeah, we're busy and full in other ways, but my kids are getting so much FaceTime right now. We're having a blast with them. It's because we're making the day's adventure. I could list off to you 30 things we've done in the last two weeks that just little projects and stuff. We've done some fun things we never did before. Yeah. And it's because we're being forced to be creative in a new way. Mm -hmm. But again, take that family marriage illustration into your walk with Jesus and it'll be an adventure. Mm. And I want to note that when you live by the spirit, it's not a restrictive thing. I think mm -hmm. many times we think right. of it as like, if we surrender to God and we make him our Lord, it's a restricting our freedoms, but it's actually setting you free. And I, it, I, you just made me think of when you talked about, 
you know, serving your family and making decisions in light of how it will affect them and how they will feel, similar to how we make decisions for our whole life and it will affect God. Mm -hmm. And it just made me think, like, you doing that is actually, in the end, even though it doesn't feel like it at first, creating more joy in your life because the people around you are joyful. And it made me think of the John Piper quote that C.S. Lewis and a couple other people use, but he's really coined is God is most glorified when we are most satisfied in mm, him. Mm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Amen. Yeah. I, I, I love that, you know, for, for, um, for many people, they may have grown up or been told that, you know, to really follow Christ requires you to suffer like all the time. Now suffering is part of the kingdom, right? And so perseverance yeah. is real. Um, perseverance, you know, you're, you're tested, you go through the refiner's fire, those things are part of life. But I think what a lot of times people have missed is that, man, Jesus did say that the enemy, really referring to the devil, that he only comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But you know what Jesus says right after that? He says the, the devil comes to steal, kill, and destroy. That is what his MO is, okay? But then the next line says, but I have come that they may have life, mm-hmm. abundant life, life to the full. He literally shows the the contradiction of the two. It's black and white. It's this is what steals, kills, and destroys, and this is what brings life. And when we think about that in that way, it's like, wait a second. Walking with the Spirit of God is actually giving us life. Mm-hmm. It's putting us on this adventure, this course of creativity. And I think that people need to be reminded of that, that following Jesus is actually really fun. Yeah. And why is it fun? Because it, it, it doesn't have like an end. Right. Right. It keeps getting better. It does. It's like I tell people, look, joining an on-campus organization, I did a lot of those in college, right? I was part of different things, whatever. All those ended. I'm not friends with those people anymore. Yeah. We're, we're 15 years later or whatever it is. And I don't know what they're doing. They ended, they were fun while they lasted, but they ended. Yeah. My relationship with Jesus is not ending ever. It's just getting better and better. I mean, my goal Bailey is to be that old guy. That's like in his seventies or eighties. I want to be that old man that just is just having more fun than I did when I was 20. Mm -hmm. Like I want to be on this trajectory of fun, enjoyment, and adventure, knowing that the rest of my life, mm. there's going to be suffering, there's going to be trials, there's going to be testing in my faith, but that's only going to make me stronger. Because every time I'm tested, my conviction goes deeper. Mm. Do you understand? Yeah. A lot of people, and I would just say young people, I'm, I'm 37, I'm going to put myself in the middle-aged category, okay? If you're in your 20s or in your teens, a lot of times we are tempted to look at trial or testing as negative. Right. Honestly, it's not. Even, it's like testing and trials what allows you to grow up and mature. Without being tested, without being having any trials, you can't really grow. You stay stuck, right? You know mm-hmm. the whole analogy about a tree, right? Uh, the, years ago, they, they, did this, they did this whole biodome. Right. You may have heard the biodome, right? Yeah, okay. Yeah. This, this is pulling way back. <laughs> this biodome, they're trying to see, Hey, how can we create this perfect idyllic environment for plant life trees to grow? That was the goal. We're going to control the temperature, control the lighting, control the watering, the soil, everything. The one component that they did not include in the biodome is what, do you know what it is? Uh, wind. Mm. Cause bro, if you just built a whole big structure, there's no wind. So what happened was the trees didn't grow. They didn't make it. Trees don't grow without wind. Whoa. Did you know that? They have to have wind. It's fascinating. Go up and research it. Trees need wind. They need water. They need sunlight. They need proper soil. They need space to grow. But without wind, they don't grow. Well, what's the wind do? You ever, there's a storm last week. It was crazy. Blowing everything everywhere. Those trees are doing this. That wind and that resistance allows them to grow stronger. And what happens when the wind comes, their roots go deeper because mm. they realize they actually need to have a stronger basis in order for them to make it. But if you never have wind, you can push that thing over. Isn't that crazy? That's wild. So for us, God created trees, by the way. He created us 
Therefore, when we are tested, we come out stronger. Mm-hmm. And that would be our life story. Whenever you're tested, whenever things come against you, instead of resisting it, I embrace it. Say, bring it on. Because I know I'm going to come out stronger. It's going to be a little painful. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. But those those momentary afflictions are momentary. They won't last. And it's 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 wild the uh, the the tree imagery in the Bible scattered all through the Bible. All the place. <laughs> um, even yeah. even Jesus saying a tree is known by its fruit. Hmm. Hmm. So a tree that's going to produce really good fruit actually has to have wind. Has to be tested. Without that testing, they gotta have the water too, right? Got the sunlight. But really great fruit producing trees are actually battle hardened. Mm. You know? Yeah. It makes me think of I went to Big Bend National Park and I'm I'm sitting on top of this mountain and I I was by myself at the time. I woke up really early in the morning. I want to say because I wanted to spend time with the Lord, which was part of it. But I was really (laughs) freezing in my tent. So I was like, I got to get up, go. Uh And and when I was on this hike, I'm like, I'm so glad I've done this. And I see, you know, we're in Chiso's Basin. And and the sun's coming up behind the mountain. So you're just seeing this, like, slowly the the whole basin is being consumed with this, this, this blanket of light. And I'm up before the birds. And I hear these birds start waking up. And then one bird wakes up another bird. And they're talking and communicating. And I can, I'm can i just like, wow, this is crazy. And I'm just sitting here with the Lord watching as his artwork is coming to life. And what I realized was they're even more than like, you know, when we take a picture, we make a painting. We're, we're, we're taking this beauty and it looks beautiful. And, and when we look at it from one perspective, it looks beautiful. But what we don't always see is all of the things that had to be just right for that to happen in the way mm-hmm. it did. And so when we think about us as a created being and how us, uh, extraordinary that is and and <laughs> like one in a hundred billion even more than that of a circumstance if you look at statistics but then you look at everything else around that is required you start to peel back the surface and see this is a big story mm-hmm. this is designed this is yeah. glorious and, and when you see the bible for what it is which is we're living it right now we're, there's parts of the Bible that have been yet to be written. Right. And, um, you know, it's been prophesied about, but, but we're in the midst of that. And when you see it for the story it is, which is the story of life, you begin to get so excited about the implications of what that means to be able to join into that. And when we look at that perspective of being a Christian, not oh, what can this God thing do to amplify my success and, 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 and my joy in this life? But being so joyful that God even made you and then realizing, wow, you made me with purposes in mind, works to walk in that you've established for me that I don't even yeah. have to create. And you're not asking me to create. You're actually, if, if we try to create it, you actually steer us back to you and say, hey, just look at me. Look at what I've laid out for you walk in that peace mm-hmm. uh, something you said earlier which was um, talking about everything we need all the answers of life are found within this book and it, it made me think about the answer has been in front of us all along mm. the answer has been simple and it's Jesus and everybody knows that but we can't get over this this thing where we want to be our own God and you see it from Mm -hmm. Genesis to the end of the Bible it's this self-glorification of man that Mm -hmm. gets in the way and diffuses that connection but if we just sit in the peace and the love of God we truly realize and and find that joy that he's always intended for us and that's what's so cool about this season of life is we really get to just feel that sweetness and i think that's what you're feeling you're like i'm you know i'm not having too much of a hard time with this because of that centeredness in the beam 
of God's presence over your family and saying, wow, this is actually such a gift and a sweet time period for us to grow and learn what it means to actually hear God. And God's like, hey, there's no excuse for you not to hear now. Like, I've been talking the same tone this whole time. There's just been a lot of noise. I've silenced all the noise. So Mm -hmm. now it's your choice to hear me. Mm -hmm. There's nothing else that is going to distract you right right now. I'm talking, and you can hear it and receive it. Yeah, it's good. You know, I think, um, you know, like you were saying, just all the noise. Mm-hmm. I think, truthfully, our country is one of the busiest countries on the planet. Now, I haven't been everywhere. I've been other places. I think the Japanese run at a pretty high octane. <laughs> okay. Um, I mean, they really do. Yeah. Just culturally, they're just on the go. Mm-hmm. When you think about cultures, countries that are on the go, we're certainly probably in the top five. And... You know, it's 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 always refreshing to go to somewhere in Africa or even South America. And you're like, oh, they take things a little slower (laughs) when they say two o'clock. They really mean four. Mm -hmm. And when they say come over for lunch, it's three hours, not 20 minutes. Right. Last I checked, you're not having lunches with people in College Station. It's a three hour lunch. It's it's a 30 minutes. Got to get and go. Our country has been built on this. Now, it's not all bad, right? We have a. We've had a thriving economy. We've produced so many things. We lead in the world. Okay, but a missing piece is that in our busyness, we don't really know how to be still. Mm. We don't really know how to be still and just to go on a walk and to go on a walk without our phone. Like, try that. Right. Try to go on a walk. I'm telling everyone here, okay? <laughs> try to go on a walk this week, wherever I'm looking, and um, don't take your phone. In fact, I would encourage you, I would challenge you, okay, this is this is going to be crazy. What if you turned your phone off for a day? Yeah. For a whole day? And you can't go check your stuff on, the, on, your, on your laptop, okay? So on your Mac, just don't do that. What if you turned your phone off for an entire day? Just said, you know what? I'll check it tomorrow. I wonder what that would do. I think people are realizing that we've gotten so used to, and what's become normative is the accessibility 24-7 and the busyness. Mm. Until you go to Big Ben and look over everything and just kind of get a breath of fresh air. Until you, It's like, why do you need to go camping to experience that? All right. It's right around us. You could turn your phone off to say, you know, for this, for this day, I'm not going to get my computer. I'm not going to get on my phone. I'm not going to watch a show. I'm going to go device-free today completely. I wonder what will happen. And what if you said, you know what? Device free. And I'm going to give just God an extra couple hours here just to read the Bible, just to read. Or, you know, I'm going to go on an hour walk, an hour. Just can go wander through the woods. Hopefully, you know, you might need to go with a friend. All right. So you (laughs) you make it back. But I just think we're in a unique season right now that to miss this while just waiting that it ends, you're foolish. Yeah. If you're just waiting for the coronavirus to end, you are missing it. And I say that with all sincerity, you're missing it. If you're just waiting for things to go back to normal, you're missing it. You're missing the now. And you're going to look back and say, oh, I missed it. And I'll say, yeah, you did. But right now you have a chance to capitalize on things. You have space and time societally. I actually years ago, I joked with a friend and said, look, if I ever ran for president and became president of the United States, I would I would try to designate one week out of the year we went to a complete shutdown. Where we said, look, this week nobody works. So stock up on your food. Nobody works this week. It's a nationwide week-long holiday. But everybody's off, which means there's actually no hotels open. There's no no park, nothing's open. It's you at your house and your local forest and parks are just available for the next week you got to figure out how to just do life and relax next week mm. what if we did that yeah and we shut down all devices so you know what for this week we're not doing computers shows just shut down i think we need that resting that our country doesn't it's not built in right we're not the old testament built in rhythm of the sabbath was built in to society yeah we don't have a built-in sabbath there is no sabbath in america mm. there isn't there is seven days a week, 24-7, it's always on. The light's always on. You know, the things are always being streamed. Things always are moving. There's 
There are three shifts at a factory, eight hour shifts each. It always goes. This shutdown on some level needs to be taken advantage of by people for their own personal well-being. And yeah. remember, we're making decisions nationwide based off the health of people, but that's only physical health, right? Everything mm -hmm. we're doing restricting is physical health. It's not about mental health, emotional health, spiritual health. Those are being left out, right? So what the government is providing, the state and federal level, we're providing um, uh, restrictions and clarity based off how to protect the population from a virus, from a health, from a physical health perspective. Right. It has nothing to do with the mental, emotional, spiritual health, mm -hmm. which I would say are equally valuable, mm -hmm. but it's a little more tricky. So I think right now, okay, you're being restricted on the physical movement side. No one's restricting you mentally, emotionally, and spiritually. You've got to find how to feed yourself in those places mm -hmm. and find how to connect in those places. I, I'm glad you brought that up because like for some people that don't know what you're talking about, this Sabbath that was built into society it was every seven days and then every, uh, what was it, seven weeks? Yeah, they, they would had, do had a another week. rhythm. Then they, yeah. had a, then they also had like a year of Jubilee that was built. Right. In. So it like built up. And so eventually some people would take a year off of work, mm -hmm. just spend it with their family. And what I learned recently is that a Sabbath isn't necessarily just for rest, but the Sabbath was a reminder. It was a, it was a day or a time period to remember the covenant in which God has made yes. with his people. Yes. And so that makes it so much sweeter. And that's where it comes into mental health. Cause not only you're getting this rest, but you're getting this spiritual rest because you're saying, Oh wait, I forgot that the only time that I'm going to be fully okay is when Jesus returns, when he makes everything new. Mm -hmm. And, <laughs> and uh, when I, when I came upon that, I was like, that makes so much yes. sense. Yes. That's where it's at. Yes. I think you're absolutely right. It is a, there is a reality that, um, that when we think about the word Sabbath or rest, it is a rested lifestyle. Now, in that, there is a physical time and space you need to figure out how to rest. That looks different for everybody. And because our society runs 24-7, it's not like everybody else says, okay, yeah, yeah, we're all going to rest today. Yeah. That's not how it works. So some people feel really anxious because if you're resting, someone else is working. They're going to be better than you. Right. Position or, thing again. That's right. <laughs> or like in sports, well, I'm taking the day off. Well, I'm, I'm putting more work in the weight room. Oh. So you have this never-ending, anxious, living, competitive American mm -hmm. nature that we've developed, which says, if I rest, I'm lazy. If I rest, I fall behind. Okay? But the way God set it up is actually the better way. Resting actually allows you to be more effective and stronger those other six days. Right? So, like, I love the Chick-fil-A model. Right? <laughs> yeah. So... The Chick-fil-A model is, if you don't know this, right, they're open six days a week, not seven. So Chick-fil-A, uh, nationwide, they're open Monday through Saturday. They're closed on Sundays. To many churchgoers' chagrin, they're not open on Sunday for lunch. <laughs> so they're off on Sundays. But go and do the research. I encourage you to do the research. They are the most profitable chain, fast food or fast casual, whatever you want to call it, food chain in America. Yeah. They beat McDonald's, they beat everybody else. They're only open six days a week. They're open in less time and make more money. Yeah. I don't know. I'm just saying even the principles of the kingdom when put at work mm. actually work. Mm. I love it. And so, uh, Tyler, thank you for coming on the show today. Um, this was awesome. Say the fun. least. Uh, I love this, that we get to kind of, I think, one of the th other things this is showing is that the we we may have lost the value of human connection mm -hmm. and i think really maybe that's what we're discovering in the church is getting back to this place where when we do come together in a gathering it's not about someone standing up there and preaching a sermon that's great and you receive from it but the way that the people in the olden church understood it was we are 
whole. We are a body now. Mm-hmm. We take communion together and we are united. And that is when we're like whole, when we're together in community. And I, that's my hope and my prayer is that we come back and we see it that way, that we yeah. see it as what it, what communion actually means, you know? Yeah. And so how I kind of want to wrap this up is, um, you know, I think a lot of people see you on stage, right? And that kind of diffuses this human connection a little bit mm-hmm. because back to the positional thing, it gives people their their new perspective of who you are. So what I really wanted to get out of this was to show people like who you are because it's not that person on stage. Mm-hmm. That is something you do as a, as a place of serving. And yes, it's fun. Yes, it can it be exhilarating, bring you joy, sure. and, and it's uh, rewarding. But um, what would you say has been the biggest thing that you've learned from this that you're going to bring back into when we're when we're united again like what do you want people to know about you personally and and kind of give them a lens of how you're seeing life as a senior pastor yeah you know i think there's going to be a lot of things that come out of this um i think some we know some we don't know but i i I would say that, that my hope is that as the church, not just for us at Antioch, but I think any church in America, I think hopefully what, what this season is doing is revealing to people or reminding people that at the in, end of the day, um, the most important things are there's two relationships. It's your own personal walk with Christ and your relationship to the people. Mm-hmm. Relationships matter more than programming more than accolades, more than the money, more than the events, more than like the relationships. And at the end of the day, if you were a church going into this that did not have a strong basis of relationships interconnected through the church, not just with leadership, I mean as a people. If people weren't walking into your foyer looking for their friends and their life group or who they serve with, if everyone walked in like they didn't know anybody, sat down, entertained, and left, you've got a real problem because you weren't built on relationships beforehand. It's a comedy show. You were built on a service Mm. that you provided. Yeah. But if the church facilitates relationships, Mm. that's what I'm hoping people pray. That's what I'm hoping people take out of this is that the relationships actually need 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 to take priority. It's your walk with Jesus. How are you building that? Relate. How are you building that? How are you maturing that mm-hmm. in your relationship with people? Because two months from now, the people you're still talking to and hanging out with are the people that matter the most. The people you forgot about, people don't talk to, they don't matter as much. Push comes to shove. Human nature says we are going to stay connected with those that we want to be connected with. Mm-hmm. You're not being forced to connect with anybody. You're not being forced to go to class, do projects with people, go to an organizational meeting, do intramural sports. You're not being forced to go to your office to go. You actually have complete freedom to literally choose and you have every excuse in the world to not engage with people, which means the people you are engaging with are on purpose, Mm. not by happenstance, Mm. which is incredible because right now people are realizing who do I really know and who really knows me? Mm. And that's a scary question to ask. We all want to be able to say, oh, there's 10 people and 10 people, but really, who really knows you right now? Mm. And who do you really know? And if you feel like no one really knows me, then I ask the question, then get started. Start opening up your life. Pick someone out and say, hey, can we start connecting? Can we start talking? Can we start Mm. doing life together? Mm. Because if, if you depended upon the institutions, the organizational structure, the social network, you're stuck right now. If that's, if that's what got you into relationships, right now, all you've got is just you. Mm. Nothing else is propping that up. And so for a lot of people, they're either really encouraged right now because they're going deep with friends or they're really discouraged. 
but you have a choice to make. You're not without hope. You have a choice. Mm-hmm. So, love it. It's the greatest commandments, you know. Mm-hmm. Jesus laid it out for us, plain and simple. It just takes us to choose to follow it, choose to yeah. actually apply it, choose to actually love people and actually love God. Yep. And that's what this yep. time's all about. Yep. Amen. Appreciate it, brother. Bailey, it's been great. <laughs> yeah. Thanks, man. Yeah. We're going to end this. Got the music going. But appreciate you. Thanks, Bailey. It's awesome. Is that good? Helpful? Are we still going? Okay. Now you can hear that because that's the